Hello and welcome to Revise, Rebut and Resubmit, a podcast that explores early career researchers' experiences in publishing their first academic paper and which celebrates this important milestone. My name is Jennifer Fitchett and I'm an Associate Professor of Physical Geography, an avid science communicator and a still relatively young academic with a passion for breaking down the barriers and unnecessary mysticism in the publication process. Each episode, I interview a new person on their journey in writing, revising, rebutting, resubmitting, and having their first academic paper published. This podcast is very kindly supported by the DSI NRF Center of Excellence for Paleosciences. Dr. Kimberly Chappelle is a postdoctoral fellow at the American Museum of Natural History in New York City. Kimmy completed her PhD in paleontology at the University of the Witwatersrand, which was followed by a first postdoctoral fellowship at the Evolutionary Studies Institute. Kimmy has published groundbreaking work, the most enthralling of which, to a non-paleontologist such as myself, has involved looking inside fossilized dinosaur eggs to understand dinosaur embryos. Welcome, Kimmy. It's wonderful to have you on this podcast. Hi, Jed. Thanks for having me. So, Kimmy, let's talk about your first paper. And I know by now there are quite a couple more, but let's reflect back on the first paper that you published. And perhaps you can give us an overview of what that paper was and the research behind it. So, my first paper was actually a publication of my honors research, which I then expanded on during my master's and then in my PhD. So basically I took one of the best preserved skulls of a dinosaur called Massospondus carinatus, which is the most uh, common and iconic dinosaur we have in South Africa or Southern Africa. actually. And for my honors project, we CT scanned it. So very similar to how you would x-ray a broken bone in a human, we can CT scan fossils And then you can use those scans to reconstruct the bones digitally. And so for my honors, the project was simple because we were just looking at the bones that surrounded the brain and re-describing those those bones, so the brain case bones. But then during my master's, I did something that built on that. And then during my PhD, I wanted to, you know, obviously I should publish my, my honors And I decided to then, instead of just describing the brain case bone, we did a a revised description of every single bone in the skull of of this dinosaur. And then that was the first paper that I I published. I mean, that's an incredible first paper and and really a fascinating honours project. I think so many people imagine that an honours project is just a box ticking exercise and it's really just to demonstrate that you can do a literature review and perhaps go out and do a few questionnaires and This is really very groundbreaking research that you did in your honors. But it's also really interesting that you decided to reapproach the work during your PhD to publish it. And at that point, to expand the work to something quite a bit bigger and to really reevaluate what had previously been done uh, on that particular topic. Yeah, I mean, Obviously, the, just the brain case description is, is a great addition, but I had already digitized every single bone. So at, at which point you might as well describe all of them and then publish this, this very big paper where you actually have all of the information combined in, into one. So it was a long paper. I think my, the first paper that I published, that I submitted, the, I guess the end result is 84 pages long. So it's quite a long, long paper. So I guess, I mean, that was a learning curve. <laughs> Yeah, that really is a very long paper. And I wonder then what it's been like to write subsequent papers that haven't been 
as long and of a more typical length. Most papers are about sort of 20 to 30 pages. Have you found it difficult in writing shorter papers after such a long first paper? Or has it felt like quite a relief to approach smaller chunks of work? So I guess, I mean, there's pros and cons to both. So short papers, I, I mean, obviously quite enjoy it. So it's quite funny. But one of the most difficult things with the, the big paper is the number of figures. So there were, I think, 53 figures or something. And it was a very tedious submission process because the, so the PRJ submission process, you upload each figure individually and then you upload each figure caption individually. And if your internet is not very stable, it's an absolute nightmare. And so actually subsequent papers where you have one or two figures were much, much more pleasant in that sense. And then obviously the review and the proof process is, is much uh, quicker in shorter papers. But then if you have a word limit on a paper, it can be really difficult to say all the things you want to say. And you have to sort of be, you know, quite critical about what you're going to include and what you're going to remove. And that can be quite tricky, I find as well. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of the review process, how was the review process for this first paper? So I was actually, I think I was quite lucky. So, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of PJ. I quite like the, the way they review and I like the, the format and I like usually the reviewers that they pick um, are usually quite good. So I had three reviewers. The first one liked the paper. It was a very short review. He basically found a bunch of typos in the paper, which was great. The second reviewer was also very positive, and most of his comments were about referencing styles, which I guess we all go through there. If you're publishing academic papers, you forget the comma or the dot or the P or the something, something, something. Um, so there was a lot of that. And then the third reviewer was actually incredible because he really like went through everything in the paper. It is a very long paper, so I take my hat off to him. And now that I've done reviews, quite a bit. I know how much work goes into them. And he went through the supplementary information. He found some mistakes there. And I mean, he was very positive um, about everything, but it was, it was very nice that he actually took the time to go through it as much as he did. Because he found a whole bunch of stuff that I guess, once you've read your paper 16 times, you don't necessarily see these things. So yeah, I thought the review process was quite good. The one, the one reviewer, so I had like 50 odd figures and one of them asked that I add a figure, which had to be figure number one. And I remember, awesome. <laughs> actually, I, I remember actually like being so sad because now I had to re-upload all the figures. <laughs> that I could shift them down by one. And I had to go obviously in text and change every single figure reference to like one more. And I was just so sad because it took so long. But I mean, of all the things, that's not the worst. It's just really annoying, that's all. It's a really positive first review process if the worst thing that happens to you is that you have to renumber and re-upload all of your figures. I think there's so yes. many people who go through their first paper being rejected from multiple journals. I think mine was rejected from six different journals before eventually I landed on one where they at least sent me back major revisions on it. I think I would have loved to have somebody tell me that there were problems with my referencing, some typos, and now let's go through this mayhem of renumbering and re-uploading 50-odd figures. <laughs> so I think you had a very, very good experience there. 
It was. It was very positive. I mean, I've also obviously subsequently I've I've had less pleasant experiences. Um, I remember the one week I was so happy because I submitted something like two or three papers, and I was so proud of myself. And all three of them got rejected like on the same day, the week after. And I was like, oh, that's sad. Jeez, oh, <laughs> that is not a good day. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's not so much rejected. It's just you know this paper does not fit my journal or whatever. So. But yes, yeah, so I have I have been through that. But again, even if it is a, a nice rejection in that it's it doesn't fit our journal or it's too long, too short, too whatever, it's still then a process of changing all of the formatting, changing all of the references, re-uploading all of the figures and everything to another journal. And so even softer rejections are still a huge hassle to deal with, if nothing else. Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, it is always a tedious exercise to 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 find the right journal. And also, I mean, sometimes you write a paper with a certain journal in mind, and then it's quite heartbreaking when you submit your paper to it, and it doesn't even get to review. But at the same time, I think I would rather get rejected before it goes to review than after it goes to review. <laughs> at least, you know, at least it's just it's not the right fit. So you can find somewhere else where it fits better. Yeah. Absolutely. So in terms of the writing process for this first paper, you've spoken a little bit about the thinking behind including everything you'd already scanned all of the bones, it made sense to throw it all together. But how did you approach writing and what role did your former honours supervisors play in guiding you through that process of what is a paper, how long are we going to aim for in terms of length, what do we include or exclude and what do we do in terms of framing this under particular academic language or any of the stylistic requirements in the particular field? So, I mean, as a first paper, yes, it's very long, but it's a very straightforward paper. So it's, you know, here is this amazing specimen of this dinosaur. This is why this dinosaur is important. Um, and then using CT scanning, obviously, you can look at every bone and every single view that you could ever want um, and so this is what we did and like we're, we're re-describing it in much more detail than it's than it's ever been described and so although it's long it's very straightforward it's quite obviously it's describing bones is is a is a skill in itself I think it takes a long time to to sort of understand you know or to find your way of doing it everyone has slightly different ways of doing it and so that was quite quite a tricky thing to learn Luckily, my, my supervisor at the time had done quite a few of these monographs where he had described specimens. And so he he sort of told me how he does it. And then I gave it a shot, obviously, during during my honors. And, and yeah, like we, we basically worked on it together for the first few bones, the brain case bones during my honors. And then from there, once you understand the process and, you un and you're comfortable with it and you understand sort of how you want to write these descriptions, then then it sort of just becomes a, a slightly long, but, you know, uh, straightforward exercise of, of applying your method to every single one. So, so yeah, when it comes to the discussion, that is always a bit more difficult, I find. We didn't have any length restrictions because PJ doesn't give you length restrictions, which, again, can either be 
you know, a blessing or not, because you can talk about whatever you want, but at the same time, it's not always good to talk about whatever you want in your discussion. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, so that, that was, that is always quite difficult. Like finding the things, you know, the main takeaways and important things in your paper can take quite a few drafts before you, before you get it right. But that's why also the review process is, is important and, and also interesting. It's interesting to see what other professionals you know take away from your paper and what they think you should have talked about more or less or so on and so forth yeah absolutely and to what extent were you able to rely on your honors report to kind of create the structure or, or the bones I'm saying ironically the bones <laughs> of the paper or did you start from basically a, a clear slate and write the paper just as a paper no I, I definitely I built on from my honors I mean obviously I've I had learned a lot in the, you know, two or three years since my honors. So although I did build on it, I, I also obviously had to change. And also the literature had changed. That's another thing. And this is why science is so great is because it changes all the time. But it does mean that if you let a paper sit for three years, you're going to have to go back and basically update a lot of things because a lot of new taxa have been described or especially with CT scanning a lot of things are coming out and so that you know that that is always something that needs to be updated but I definitely I mean I did build on from my honors and I think that's the benefit of a longer length piece is that you're not trying to cut a hundred page honors report down to 20 pages but as you say you can go through a process of using that and updating things and really allowing yourself to reimmerse yourself in the literature around that topic and in any of the new developments and I think again it makes for a slightly more straightforward approach in writing a first paper than many people face in in that same process yeah I, I mean absolutely I mean there is there's always a, a stylistic difference between you know an honest dissertation and an actual paper so it always does take some editing to get it to a point where it can be published but it is it is helpful to to have that skeleton and that that first draft that you can then work through so yeah so it it was it went well <laughs> <laughs> and it's always great to hear those stories where it does go well so the subsequent papers you've written have you found that you are adopting a similar approach i mean obviously differences in length and topic notwithstanding but do you think that you are now at a point where you follow a similar approach in writing and responding to reviewers and uh, going through the process of resubmitting? Or are you finding that each paper is quite unique and that the experiences are still quite diverse? I think that varies a lot on, on several things. So one, one thing that's, that's changed, I must say, since my first paper is, you know, your first paper is a big deal. And it is, it's, you know, your name is going to be in science forever. And it's, it's, it's daunting and exciting and all sorts of, of different emotions. But uh, the actual submission process, you know, you, you submit, you submit it and then the website will ask you, are you sure you want to submit? Are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure that you, you've done everything? <laughs> Um, and then you go back and you check everything because you're so anxious because you're now submitting this thing and putting it out to the world and it's it's very daunting. And it feels like you have to get everything perfect and everything right and everything has to be absolutely like top-notch in that first submission, which obviously you should try and get it as, as right as possible. But now that I have, one, submitted several papers, um, and as I said, when you when you get them rejected, you have to reformat and resubmit multiple times. So that initial submission process gets much less daunting. 
And also now that I've reviewed quite a fair amount of papers, I also better understand, you know, I've been in both sides. And so I better understand, you know, how to approach the, the situation and how to how to take reviewers' comments and and also that, you know, it is at the end of the day, the review process is it's also a conversation that you're having with, with, with the reviewers. And so you're allowed to not necessarily agree with them, but you have that conversation, you debate your point. It's not, you know, the they're not, yeah, it's not, it's not like everything you say in your first submission is going to be, you know, what defines your career, basically, is what I mean to say. And so, yeah, every paper I've quite enjoyed, they're all different. Some of them, you know, obviously you have more hassles with with the reviewers, not in a bad way. You just, you know, you disagree on things. And so you you both try and put your point across. And then We've always ended, I've always had luckily ended on a point where I'm happy with the compromise. There are a lot of really important things you've pointed out here. And I think the most important and one I want to, to really emphasize is that your first paper really is a tremendous achievement. And as you say, it's your name going into science for all of time and eternity, but also that it is a really big milestone. And I think it's so important that we recognize it for the milestone that it is particularly in a world where people put so much emphasis on all sorts of other milestones that in academia might be less important to, to all of us, but that, you know, you're not in management consulting where there could be 30 levels of promotion and you're going to celebrate each one of those. We're in a much more flat system, but we really do need to recognize, particularly when we are students or early career researchers, that this is a big deal and it is something that we should feel happy about and it is something that we should celebrate. But then also, as you're saying, that over time, we then go, okay, well, it is a big deal that I published my first paper, but now I can calm down a bit and I don't have to have an anxiety attack every time I press submit because you now know that it's going to come back and forth from review many times. And if there was a typo, someone's going to pick it up. And if they don't pick it up, you'll have a paper that has a typo in it and it's not the end of the world. And I think it is an interesting thing to juggle both of those being true, that something can be a really big deal but that it won't be that much of a big deal every other time you submit a paper for the rest of your career, because otherwise you would die of a heart attack, both from the celebration of every paper, but also from the anxiety of submitting every paper. Absolutely. I was laughing because the typo thing, you know, it is obviously, you know, you, you, you want to make your work as clean as possible. You don't want typos, you know, you don't want it to be sloppy. But at the same time, I, I think I have found a typo or something, something very small in every single one of my published papers. And it's one, it's one of those things where like every time you open the PDF, you know that it's there. But I mean, no one else cares, to be honest. I mean, I've, I have very rarely read anyone else's papers where I haven't found something very small that's wrong, whether it be an abbreviation that's missing in a figure caption or like, you know, you publish long papers, these little things are gonna creep in and it doesn't take away from from you as a researcher, it doesn't take away from your science. I mean, we are all humans and this is, and, and also the fact that it goes through like three rounds of reviewers with three reviewers and all of your co-authors and the editors and, and it still got through means that it's not a reflection of you. It's just, you know, unfortunately these things happen. Yeah, absolutely. And as you say, we are human and those same kinds of errors and typos are popping up in everyone else's work across every other field that exists. And you can pick up any newspaper and find a, a typo there. Uh, and yet we don't say, well, the newspaper or media or journalists have fallen apart. We just go, right, they're human. 
And most people yeah. don't even notice typos when they're reading. Their, their eyes skip over it because they've picked up what the word is and, and their brain doesn't even focus on it. But as you say, it's, it's getting yourself to that position where you're okay with it and you're realistic about the fact that we can't, we can't find all of these typos no matter what we do. But we also don't have the time to go through every single paper we write with a fine tooth comb to pick up every possible typo that that it's about the science, as you said, and we need to be practical and get our work out there and trust that any major issue will become apparent through either the process of sharing your work with your co-authors or through the review process or through the final copy editing process. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. At the end of the day, if, if people read your work, they're not going to go, you know, when they have a discussion about this paper, they're not going to be like, it was a very good paper, but there was a typo on line 55, page three. You know, that's not what people are actually going to take away from it. And as I say, obviously, avoid it as much as you can, but don't let it keep you up at night. And the other thing is, you know, it's it can be quite difficult, I think, when you publish a paper and, you know, a few years later, someone else publishes a paper that contradicts your paper. But that's also okay. I mean, that's that's science, I guess. You know, the, I think it was Carl Sagan that said that science is ever changing. And that's that's the whole point. We're constantly changing it. We're constantly learning. We're constantly having conversations about it. So it's, yeah, I know it can be quite quite tricky not to be heart sore when, you know, obviously your work is now being disproved or not disproved, but disagreed with. And I think that's also something that that is okay. It is okay yeah. if that happens. I think that's such an important thing to bear in mind. And some disciplines, there will be a lot more engagement than others. I think there are quite a number of people who work in disciplines where people just act in silos and everyone just puts out their work and they barely engage with one another and they try and stay as far away from things that other people are doing. But that's not where science really advances. Science advances through engaging with one another, through debate, through discussion, through disagreement. And it's being able to know that there's still value to your work, even if somebody does disprove it, or even if somebody does have a different way of approaching it theoretically, that that doesn't mean that yours now disappears, it doesn't evaporate. Yeah, 100%. I 1000% I agree. I think, I think any contribution you make will be important and, and will have been part of that conversation. And so, as I said, I think it's, it's okay. So I want to reflect a bit on your position as a reviewer now. And as you've mentioned, you've now started to review quite a number of papers. Because I always find it interesting to speak to early career researchers who approach reviewing papers very much based on the reviews they themselves have received and the ways in which they would like to get feedback, whether positive or negative, as well as their framing and understanding of their particular field. So Perhaps you can talk us through your process in developing as a reviewer and the kind of reviewer that you want yourself to be. So I take a lot of time with my reviews, which I guess might be a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know, because, you know, I've also, I guess it's, you know, it's karma, but it has happened to me quite a few times that uh, I've accepted a review and then you open the manuscript and it's 200 pages long. <laughs> So I guess, you know, that's what you get. You have to give back. But it can be very time consuming to do, you know, a good review because it can also be quite, it's funny because when you submit a paper and you get reviews back, you get annoyed at the reviewer who like nitpicks, but then you also get annoyed at the reviewer who basically 
probably didn't really read it in that much depth because then you're like well this isn't useful and yeah. so you have to find the, the sort of the balance between the two so I do I put in a lot of time in my reviews I try and go through as much of it as possible I always try and find the good things because I don't think it's nice to be you know the person who just talks about the negative things because this is someone's work this is someone like someone who has put some time and effort into this 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 paper that they've published well most of the time yeah. so it's 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 important, I think, to not be that person who just destroys it and like makes them feel like, because sometimes they're going to be students as well. And you don't want to be that person who like, you know, shatters their hopes. So I think it's, I try and find the good. And then obviously you have to be quite critical of the bad, but that's okay. You know, like, like we said previously, it is a conversation. And so I'll try and I usually, I always go through the entire manuscript and, you know, do the, the track changes or comments on the actual manuscript. And I also always give like an overarching review of, you know, the general issues that I found or the general positive things that I found. And so that's that's sort of how I approach my my reviews. And also this is and this is something one of my colleagues told me as a rule of thumb, I try and review one paper per paper that I publish, whether it's first authored or middle authored or whatever. Because that sort of gives you a good idea of how many reviews reviews you should be doing. Because especially last year and this year, I don't know if it's a COVID thing, our people were sitting on a lot of data and like started publishing a lot of papers, but I got asked to review much more than I had previously been asked. And at some point you actually, like, you have to say no, because you know, you, you, don't, you can't also give good reviews and do all of them. So if, I'd rather do fewer reviews and do quality reviews. So yeah, so I usually try and do one per paper that I publish. That's an excellent way of approaching it. And I've, I'd never actually heard that from anyone before. And a really, really good rule of thumb, because if nothing other than just thinking about the sustainability of the publication model, for better or worse, that if you are publishing papers and you need reviewers to then review the same number of papers as you're putting out there, really does make for a system that is going to mean that there aren't one or two people dumped with all of the work. And really a good way to approach it uh, because you're right there are a flood of review requests that have started since the beginning of covid in my five month sabbatical i reviewed 19 papers and towards the end <laughs> towards the end i started saying no to every single one that came in but at first i thought well i'm on sabbatical i've got time to do this i can you know take the time and read through it properly and give a detailed review but they just kept coming and a lot of the of that 19 was resubmissions during those five months and it's also interesting that people seem to be able to get to their revisions much faster than before and I'm not sure who these people are and why they have so much time on their hands and I would love to work wherever they're working because it sounds wonderful but I think that's really good advice for people that that you limited to reviewing the number of papers that you're getting in. And I also think that, you know, it obviously needs to be sustainable and that's a way of making it sustainable, but that doing a good review is so important. And what is the point of accepting a review request if you're not going to do a detailed read through, if you're not going to give feedback on everything from the content through to issues with writing style or typos or referencing issues that can that can come up because as you say it's so frustrating as an author to have put all the work into something send it out and get a review that really demonstrates that somebody hasn't engaged with your work at all or hasn't taken the time to understand what you're doing yeah I mean absolutely and and I think it's also, I mean, my to-do lists and my calendar are my world. And so obviously if I give myself a deadline for a review, you try and meet it as much as possible because, you know, as we know, like 
when you submit a paper, you want the reviews to come back as, as quickly as possible. But if you're reviewing a paper and you find that, you know, it is a very long paper, there's a difference between reviewing a 200 page long paper and a 20 page long paper. If you need that extra week to actually provide a good review, then it's okay to ask the editor to, to have that extra week. I try not to do it because obviously you committed to this, but I do think that it's okay every now and then to ask for that extra little bit of time just so that you can actually give something that's that's going to be helpful and and you know that's actually going to improve the the paper rather than just rush through it and not actually do what you signed up to do absolutely i'm very glad i work in a field where i don't think i've come across a paper longer than 50 pages and certainly never 200 pages because that just sounds terrifying but i think it's also it's worth knowing that you accept a review request based on the abstract and title and it's also possible that when you're reading the paper itself, that you'll find that it's actually outside of your area of expertise, or you become quite uncomfortable because you're unfamiliar with the exact methods that are used. And again, in those cases, better to actually say to the editor, sorry, now that I've read it, I can't actually commit to giving you a valuable review here because it's outside of my field and rather find somebody else who is better qualified to review this particular paper. And I, I think, again, it comes down to the kind of confidence we were talking about earlier of just knowing that none of these things in academia are the end of the world and that we can take a deep breath and send our papers out there, but we can also take a deep breath and ask for an extra week or tell them that we can't do something. And that being honest about all of those kinds of things, as you've said, really contributes to a better academic output and, and that those outputs are building the science that you're working in. Definitely. And I think, you know, obviously you will review papers that you're familiar with or you're familiar with, with the field, but it's also, I, I find it quite fascinating how much I learn when I review papers, because you want to go back and like look at some of that literature, which again makes it quite time consuming, but I end up learning quite, quite a lot when I review papers. So although it might not be, you might not be familiar with every single dinosaur that's ever lived, that's okay as well. If you're familiar with, you know, the, the, the main literature and the, and the process that should go behind whatever science you're reviewing, then it can be quite a, an interesting exercise to, to see how much like you actually learn from, from reviewing. Absolutely. And I think it's not even just about content, uh, as you're saying, picking up new literature and, and doing a dive into that. But reviewing also gives us tremendous ideas for future projects. It gives us new avenues into how to go about writing up work or even writing style. I think it really is an excellent source of inspiration for our own work. If you approach it, as you're saying, with enough time uh, to be able to go through it in detail and without feeling too rushed. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's important. I think at the end of the day, everyone wants just, you know, good science, good research to be published. And that's that takes a few different angles and a few different people giving their opinions to, to get there. So definitely. So my last question for you is what advice you would give to somebody who's about to start writing up their first paper? So what advice would I give someone? There's the sort of practical advice of obviously pick pick your journal, make sure that you go through all of the author guidelines in the journal, because that can also be quite a, a tedious exercise of formatting your paper so that it, it fits. Because there is, when you're submitting your first paper, there is nothing quite as uh, as annoying or disheartening as you know you finally get the guts to push that submission button and then it literally comes back the day after because you know you <laughs> that 
five of the figures properly or like your resolution is wrong or you know you used a's instead of numbers on your figures so just make sure you go through all of that so that you don't have to <laughs> to get so excited because you submitted it and then the day after have to basically do it all over again which is you know an exercise in itself um but yeah so do do read the the author guidelines quite quite carefully and the and the formatting guidelines other than that i i think get obviously it has to be your voice. It has to be, you know, this is your research and this is your work. But at the same time, get, you know, a couple of, of your, your colleagues or your co-authors to, to go through it and, and to see what, you know, what they think. I think, you know, research benefits from, from having people from different backgrounds and, and who have a different way of approaching a problem sort of come together and look at it. So try and, and get other people to go through, through your paper and see what they think. And other than that, like I said, just don't be, yeah, you know, don't be afraid that this is going to make or break your career. This is your first step into science and it's a very exciting one. And be proud. I think that's also very important. It's a big accomplishment. Yeah, I think that's brilliant advice. And definitely uh, the lessons to learn about author guidelines and knowing as well, though, that even if you follow all the author guidelines, you sometimes still get it back telling you that your figure resolution is incorrect, or they wanted line numbers to be continuous rather than starting on each page or, or whatever it might be. But you can make your life a whole lot easier by just slowing down a little bit and paying attention to those details. Kimmy, it's been amazing having you in this conversation and on this podcast. I think we've covered some really important topics for both people's first papers, but also in broader academia and around issues of peer review and going about writing subsequent papers and thinking about issues such as the length of the paper. So thank you so much for joining us today on this podcast. Ah, thank you for having me. It's been really, really fun to talk to you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Revise, Rebut and Resubmit. Hopefully it's given you some insight into the process of academic writing and approaching that first academic paper. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to listen to more of this show, please subscribe to this podcast. A huge thanks again to the Centre of Excellence for Paleoscience for supporting this work.